0: coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. Were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. A house is made of wood and stone, but only love can make a home. Welcome to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show helping you make your home into one you'll love even more on news radio wood 1300 and
1: 1069 fm well good morning everybody happy saturday haley happy saturday
2: top of the morning to you top dan of the
1: morning to me i like that you should toast me when you do that.
2: Yeah. That's
1: that should be a new tradition for the show. Let's I get have toasted. Something to toast. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Just having me around <laughs> is
1: reason to toast. Fair enough. Anyway, on the show today, we've got all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about drywall anchors. We're going to be talking about some things to consider when you're buying furniture. Furniture shopping 101 stuff. We're going to be interviewing Lauren Figueroa, mm-hmm. an interior designer who took a very small cramped bathroom and made it into a much more usable space without changing
2: the footprint of it. Yeah, at all.
1: the literal footprint. So that's really interesting how she did that, and it might help people out there with a cramped space kind of think outside the box and maybe Definitely. come up with some new solutions. But right now, we want to just get straight into it because that's what everybody wants right away on a Saturday morning, right? Straight
2: to, to business. Get straight
1: to business. <laughs> but we want to talk about a question that came up because of your very first segment, Haley. Yeah.
2: The barn quilts, Uh, when we were talking about that and where that tradition comes from, we started asking the question, well, why are barns red to begin with? Right. Where did that color come from? Right. And it's one of those
1: interesting questions. There's a lot of things like that that we just accept. And when we think about... And normally it's parents who run into this. A child will ask, why is such and such happening? And then we realize how little we actually know. know. Right. We have no idea. I didn't know why barns were red in the first place. Now we know there were other colors. White barns.
2: Brown, brown, black. black.
1: Right. But largely red. Why red? Well, we checked the internet first off to to see once if there are fun stories out there. And
2: there are. There are. There's a
1: couple (laughs) of things where uh, one idea is that barns are red. To help cows find their way back from pasture.
2: Yeah, it's too bad cows are colorblind. <laughs> eh,
1: er, that one doesn't work. Another really fun one is that red was meant to aggravate the bulls.
2: Why? I have Why no, do I... we want to aggravate them? <laughs> I
1: know. That answer raises way more questions. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. The little I know about bulls is the less you do to aggravate them, the better.
2: And can they see the red?
1: Who knows? Right. So I think that one gets a errr as well. My favorite one is it's the law just Look. straight
2: and simple yeah.
1: make your barn <laughs> red or you're going to jail Yeah, that doesn't seem right either so that's uh, as well so we dug into what's the real reason behind it and it turns out the real reason is not nearly as fun as the fake reasons
2: no it's Kind of boring, but very practical.
1: And price conscious. Yes. Yes, that's what it really boils down to. (laughs) So in the beginning, barns weren't generally painted at all. Farmers didn't have the excess cash to put into paint.
2: Mm -hmm. They got the barn up,
1: they got to do their own farming stuff, and they're just going to let it weather. Well, it turns out it weathered really poorly.
2: Yeah, and so now that investment of paint is not looking so bad after all. (laughs) Right,
1: as you're thinking about replacing your barn, the paint seems reasonable, and so that... Becomes the solution. Well, right. there's no paint stores around.
2: Exactly, no there's repcolite, no, no port to go city to. paints.
1: So they've got to make their own paint. So farmers come up with this concoction of boiled linseed oil.
2: Yep, they'd combine it with milk and lime, and then that became a coating that was kind of an orange color. So mm-hmm. we're not quite to the red barn yet. It was just a light orange, and that was from the linseed oil. That didn't really do much to preserve it from mold and mildew, though. So there was still a problem they had to fix.
1: Right. And it turns out rust kills mold and other types of fungi. So farmers started adding ferrous oxide to their paint, to Mm -hmm. this mixture that we talked about, and that produced a dark, rusty red color. So the addition of the rust helped kill mold. It was very inexpensive to produce. And a third benefit turned out to be that the barns absorbed more heat because of the darker color. And that actually made winters more endurable for the cows.
2: Yeah, summers probably a little harder. Oh, summers but... were
1: miserable. Oh, the cows <laughs> hated the summers, but they loved those winters. Anyway, once paint started to be mass-produced, it turns out the red pigments were still the cheapest, and so red barns persisted. And now today, when we see red barns and and we repaint barns red, what we're typically seeing is a brighter, cleaner red. It's not the red of tradition, and we're really only doing it for tradition's sake. We're not doing it to save money so much anymore. No. All of those things are kind of out the window. It's more just... We just
2: just associate barns with red, and now when we think of red, we think of bright red. Right. So we don't necessarily have to be painting them this super bright red. It's not necessarily traditional, but that's just what's in our head.
1: Right. Yeah, the the original ones were probably rustier, darker in, in tone. And the, the new brighter colors, the, the problem that you can run into mm-hmm. with these bright colors outside is that they can fade very quickly.
2: Right. They're no longer the oxide pigments and the super bright colors. We're using synthetic pigments then. And those are typically associated with fading faster. So that's kind of where we try to steer people towards systems like Benjamin Moore's Gen X and Aura that are meant to be a color lock system. They're going to fade a lot slower.
1: Right. So if you're painting a barn, and not everybody's doing that, but we still have people doing that, but painting your home, painting anything outside, a front door, right. use paint, especially when you're going to a bright, clean color. Always ask about that in the store, about getting the best paint and colorant system that will preserve that color as long as possible. Because you yeah, don't want to go through the work. it's still an
2: investment.
1: Right. That's an investment. It's a lot of time. You want the color to look the way you want it to look for as long as possible.
2: Exactly.
1: All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be on the phone with Lauren Figueroa talking about that bathroom remodel.
2: Yeah. Lauren's an interior designer in the area. And she takes a really cramped bathroom in a historic home and makes it feel much more spacious.
1: Right. And if you want to, head to repcolite.com right now and check out the show notes for this episode. And you can see pictures of what Lauren did. That's going to make the next segment even more interesting. Definitely. All right, we'll be back in just a minute. Stay tuned. Helping you
0: turn your house into your dream home. This is the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, presented by Benjamin Moore on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM.
1: Well, Haley, not too long ago, we talked with Laura and Figueroa, uh, an interior designer in West Michigan. About, I think it was eight key design concepts
2: if you're redoing your your kitchen. kitchen. Yeah, exactly. I had seen her work on Instagram and I really think she does an awesome job. And I saw a bathroom that I realized was really amazing because it had gone through a big transformation.
1: Right. It was a tiny little space that Lauren made feel a lot bigger without really changing the footprint. So we thought we'd talk with her about that whole project and kind of just figure out how she pulled it off. Lauren, thanks for joining us once again.
3: Thanks for having me back.
1: Absolutely. Now, before we jump into the topic that we've got for today, why don't you just talk a little bit about what you do?
3: Yeah, so I'm an interior designer and decorator, uh, work with clients throughout Michigan, we focus on West Michigan and Southeast Michigan. And um, we'll work with clients um, from anything from, you know, one hour virtual consultation or a single day power session on up to partnering with them through a major
2: renovation or helping them furnish out the house. Awesome. I like that power session. Yeah. (laughs) Those have been very fun. (laughs) Well, we wanted to talk to you about a bathroom project that you posted on your blog. You took, you know, a cramped bathroom, which is a common problem, into something that Mm -hmm. felt way more spacious. So I guess, you know, describe the before for us. Sure. So,
3: This was a project um, in a historic home. So um, the the neighborhood is Elder Heights in Grand Rapids. It's known for teeny tiny, awesome little bungalow houses. Um, So this was the only bathroom in the house. Uh, When you walked in, it had sort of like this stick-on gray tile a pedestal sink, which is a fun look, but not if it's your only right. area, <laughs> your only counter space in the bathroom. Um and then it had this sort of like old beadboard on the walls, which really chopped up the walls. And then right mm-hmm. when you walked into the bathroom, so the door swing open to the left. And then on your right, there was a closet door that if you open that at the wrong time, you could have a major collision. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it was just very cramped and tiny and not a great use of space.
2: Well, I don't think that's uncommon. You know, these spaces have evolved a lot over time, and I'm sure things (laughs) have been added or taken away. And so simplifying it can be a little bit tricky, and especially... When you've got a cramped bathroom you know how do you get more square footage without adding square footage and you kind right. of did that here <laughs> which yeah, i love i
3: think it's really just a matter of sort of rethinking the overall footprint so like in this space we knew we needed to do something with the entrance because you walked in and just felt like you were walking into this tiny little hallway. Um, and so, you know, we had the pedestal sink, which had no storage in it, but then we had this like tall, huge, um, linen closet next to it, which just felt like a monster. So we were like, yeah. how can we maybe shift our storage to like a longer vanity, some open shelving, and you know, um, just More things that storage. visually feel bigger, <laughs> even though the footprint is not bigger.
1: So you yanked out the linen co- closet, you installed this bigger vanity, and you, the how, do, how did the homeowner feel about that? Because sometimes it's hard to let go of that storage that we see for the image of maybe what somebody is describing <laughs> is going to, you know, the reality that will take place. Was it an easy switch for them, or did you have to really sell them on it?
3: Yeah, you know, this client was so fabulous to work with. She's a a software designer and super creative and, like, very open to just, like, new ideas. So in this case, it was not a hard sell. Um, I think there are situations in which, yes, we we need to talk them through it a little bit, but... um, we always do, like, if there's cabinetry involved, we always do sort of a mock-up of the cabinetry mm-hmm. um, in SketchUp or in whatever the cabinetry company uses. And that's a really great visual for people to see, like, okay, I'm losing that storage, but that is a massive vanity compared to what I had. Um, so those little visuals um, along the design process are a really great aid to helping people see the potential.
2: Definitely. I think it's difficult for a lot of people to visualize, and especially when we think of storage, Right. Well, that's Mm -hmm. storage. We get stuck on that. And Mm -hmm. even if it's not efficient storage, we still hold on to it as, no, I need that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I might need that.
2: You think you need it. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: So what else did you bring into this? I mean, you talked about the beadboard. I think that you removed that entirely, right?
3: We did. Yep. So we removed the beadboard. Um, If you look at the before photos, it was like a white beadboard on the bottom half and like a baby blue on the top we, we got rid of that we did a nice light color on the walls um and then for the floor we actually so i mentioned it's it's an older home so we brought in penny tile which is sort of a nod to that like historic element but we did it in black um so it made this really cool funky um sort of like updated yeah contemporary twist Um, yes exactly and then we took the color and we put it on the vanity instead of the walls um, because that's just a little bit uh less intense to have it on your cabinetry versus your entire wall
2: well especially with this color too because it's a bright one it's a bold choice Mm -hmm. I love it (laughs) how did you land on this you know bright teal as the vanity color
3: Yeah. Well, you know, this color showed up again and again in my client's inspiration photos that she showed me. Um, And it actually ended up on her master bedroom walls, too. (laughs) Oh, nice. Well, that's awesome. um, Yeah. So so I really do lean, especially for color. I lean on the client's inspo images just uh, because color is such a personal thing. Um, Like in my house, the colors are so like muddy and neutral. And that's really peaceful for me. But Mm -hmm. she like she had this bright inspiration photos, yellow appliances, like just really fun and playful. Um, So I like to honor the client's sort of style and personality in choosing the colors.
1: Well, I really like the color on the vanity because it's not normally where you'd see a color like this. So it's a really unusual application of the color. It really makes the color work. And then like you said, though, you don't have to have the entire room bathed in it.
2: Right. You know, you've Mm -hmm. just got this small
1: element but it really still works. Now, I want to go back to a couple things, the beadboard and the the tile. I guess the tile quickly. I just loved that because Haley and I were talking about it ahead of this interview. We love the idea that y- you've got this historic home mm-hmm. and a lot of us live in, you know, a, a, maybe not historic homes, but the homes have certain design elements. They lean a certain direction. Every right. home does for the most part. You can update it without completely walking away. You know, you ended up with something that feels modern you know color wise and yet you've got the mm-hmm. visual of the old historic you've kind of brought both worlds together and that's good info to have a lot of people think when they hear the word that they're going to modernize this color they they have another idea in their head about where they're going to end up right you're yeah. not you're not going miles away necessarily from where you started you can still right. keep that feel
2: definitely now, exactly
1: the beadboard yeah that was something crazy yeah. cuz we've talked about that in mm-hmm. a in a very positive sense on the show In the past, because it can be a great look. But in this small bathroom, when we look at it in the pictures, and we'll link to this blog post in the show notes. If you're curious, you can go there right now, repcolite.com, click on the radio, and the current episode is the one. You'll be able to check out exactly what we're talking about uh, with Lauren's pictures here. But the beadboard in this little bathroom really breaks up the room. Uh, With all of the the extra trim working around, I believe, uh, a receptacle, the Mm -hmm. outlet.
3: Yes. All of that really,
1: really <laughs> clutters up the space.
3: It does, and there's, you know, if you there's some other posts with this house in it. If you look through it, like there's the, it's got a lot of arches in it and just angles and different things. And I think in this particular application, the beadboard was just not the right choice. I love the look. I have it in my house too. Um It's just. When you have a small space with a lot of angles, it just sort of draws your eye to the fact that there are a lot of angles that you're working around.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, it makes it feel claustrophobic. And I never, I don't know, I guess I didn't think about that. I always think I want to add this design element. You know, it's a detail, it's character. Let's put up some wainscoting or beadboard. But looking at the before and after here, I can tell the impact that it really closed it in.
1: For me, it was really interesting because I've got a bathroom Almost not identical to this, but I've got the little nooks. It's a small bathroom. Mm -hmm. It's very it reminds me of it. It's got beadboard up now. Mm
2: -hmm. And I
1: was I'm in the process of redoing it. And I was going to leave the beadboard and paint it because I've lived with it. I didn't even Mm -hmm. notice all of these things until I'm looking at them in this picture. And all these little things are jumping out to me. And, and I talked to Haley about it. And I said, look in the corners on these pictures where they've got extra trim in the corners for this beadboard. Uh-huh. And it just really detracts yeah. from the look. And I said, mine aren't like that. Remember, I was right. going on and on, nonstop, <laughs> like, like I do. <laughs> I got home last night. Mine does.
2: Oh, free. I'm blind
1: to it all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And when I see what you've achieved with just a smooth, solid, you know, a, a neutral color on the walls, no beadboard, that's what I'm going towards. It it really (laughs) changed my mind on it. So what about in the last little bit, there's a number of other design elements that you brought into this. We thought the mirror, for example, just that little change made a huge impact in the room.
3: Yeah, everything about the room is angular. So we went with a round mirror to sort of soften that up. You know, we got the rectangle shelves and the long vanity and the room is a rectangle. So bringing in that round
2: element kind of brought in something a little
3: softer um not so boxy.
2: Yeah, and it's a lot larger too than the original like mm-hmm. medicine cabinet that was there before. It was really small. I f- I think this mirror, I don't know. That it really helped. The illusion that we've got more wall space or it just <laughs> reflects more light, maybe. Yeah, definitely. And I think the one other thing I would point out
3: Um, And I don't know if there's actually a good photo of it, but, you know, when when we removed that entrance area, we lost the architectural detail of the arch, which Mm -hmm. that was something our client was a little sad about. How can we, you know, bring that element in? Right. And so what we did was, you know, in the before photos, you can see the bulkhead of the shower is like very boxy and comes down very low. And so we raised the ceiling in there, but then we um, the the sort of surround to the shower, we arched that out oh. to bring that element in. Um, so that's another way you can sort of like pay respects to the history of your home. You know, if you're removing something that's historic or you know noted of that time, bring it in in a different way that serves you better.
1: It really does, and it also kind of reinforces for me the point that consulting a designer, somebody who does this on a regular basis, (laughs) is a really good step. Yes. Because not a lot of us are going to just come up with this on the fly. And Lauren, if our listeners do want to get in touch with you, hire you for a project, talk to you, how's the best way for them to get in touch?
3: Yeah, um, our website's the best way. So that's lfdesigns.co. And then we're on Instagram as well. And it's the same
2: handle, lfdesigns.co perfect well lauren thanks for speaking with us today we really appreciate it yeah thanks so much for having me it was great
1: all right we're gonna take a break and when we come back we're gonna be talking about drywall anchors and we'll air our dirty laundry our argument <laughs> our, debate. our debate that's all coming up next stay tuned
0: If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost. On news radio, Wood
1: 1300 and 106.9 FM. Well, Haley, it's throwdown time.
2: <laughs> you make it sound so <laughs> I know, extreme. I
1: know. I talked about that at the end of last segment that we had an argument slash disagreement slash discussion. About drywall anchors. We
2: had a discussion. Because we had different experiences. We did. And you found out you were wrong.
1: I did. I did. (laughs) I found out I was wrong. Or at least I had to rethink my opinion. Drywall anchors. Who would think you're even having a discussion that that you care that much about? So much about? Yeah. With drywall anchors. Well,
2: you just couldn't believe what I had done with them. I think you were in shock that I had hung up bookshelves without drilling into a stud. I don't know why, though. That is
1: my mentality. Yes. If I'm hanging something heavy... And I think you'll agree, if we can mount it, secure it into a stud, that's the way to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's not always possible.
2: Right, because I wanted to center it in a specific way and line up the brackets. I still can't wrap
1: my brain around that concept. You're busy worried about how it looks. I want to shift it whatever way I need to, however far I need to, to mount it into the studs. Dad, why is the bookshelf over there? That's where where the studs are. (laughs) At least the ones I could find. Anyway, so back and forth with this whole drywall anchor thing. You hung the bookcase. I've been unable to even have a towel bar stay up.
2: Well, and that's where we kind of realized what was really happening here because I think what's happened is that you've used a specific type of anchor. The ones that come with the towel bar or, you know, with the shelving from IKEA, they're just really cheap. Whoa! whoa. Now, the, the way you say that... Because <laughs> I knew you were going to say this. <laughs>
1: You're exactly right, though. Uh, I use it or or I bought the little kits yeah. in the store, like for hanging oh, sure. pictures or yeah. something, and it comes with all the cheapest materials. Mm-hmm. So anyway, using the wrong anchor can get us off to a bad start, can color our entire opinion of drywall anchors and cause us to have arguments and discussions <laughs> with our coworkers. <laughs> so we want to fix all that. So we're going to talk about, first off, just The most common drywall anchors out there, where you'd want to use them, where you might not want to.
2: Yeah, the most common is definitely going to be those expansion anchors that we just mentioned. They come with kits. They're usually blue or red. I guess, I mean, they can come in any color. They can come in any
1: color, But
2: I associate them with
1: blue. They look like little bullets, basically, right? Little plastic bullet-shaped things. You drill a hole in the wall. You pound them in there, push them in there. Then you insert a screw. And when you do that, that expands or causes the anchor to expand. And that's where you get the grip from.
2: Exactly. I've had a lot of bad experiences with these personally. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just one of those things, again, where if you're not going to spend a ton of money on something, you can't really have the biggest expectations. Oh, no.
1: No, Haley. I can, and I do. (laughs) No matter what I spend, I have huge expectations, and these have always let me down. Now, another one, a a better option, is the self-drilling anchor. And these can come in metal or plastic. yeah, And even the plastic ones, there's a couple different kinds.
2: Well, yeah, they've got... Really large threads, essentially, Mm -hmm. so they can self-drill. You can just use a screwdriver, which is kind of nice. You don't need any power tools for this one. There's no pre-drilling or anything. They'll go right in the wall, and they'll grip really strongly because of those crazy big threads they have. And the plastic ones have two different options. Either it's just the threads, or it's a combination where it actually does expand on the other side like the expansion ones do.
1: Right. If you're going to hang something heavy... These will work for that, and we'd recommend the ones that expand. Yes. You're just gonna get extra grip out of that. And like you said, you use a screwdriver to insert them into the walls. I've used a drill, but it's really iffy. It's gotta be a variable speed drill, yeah, and you've you gotta, gotta be, be really careful. Because you can really strip them out pretty easily, or you could drive them too far past that face paper and have a problem that way. So the screwdriver's the better way to go if you can do it. I think so. Now let's go to hollow wall anchors. And yeah, these are really complicated to describe.
2: And they always seem intimidating in the store to look at, obviously.
1: Right. We've got a picture in the show notes. You can check them out. We'll do our best to describe them. But they're metal, and it's a solid metal shaft.
2: At the beginning. At the
1: beginning. And then there's a split part way down, depending on the size of the anchor that you're using. And that metal shaft should be the width of your dry... Or the thickness of your drywall, exactly. right? So that can vary. But then it, when it splits... They've got all these, like I think, four different pieces, basically. Yeah, Yeah, metal bands. And they're crimped. And basically, when you tighten the screw, those crimped pieces flare out on the other side, the back side of your drywall. And that's where you get your grip from.
2: Yes. Watch the video that we'll link to. It'll be much more descriptive.
1: Yeah, they're really easy to use. They're not as intimidating as they seem. But they're really not necessarily the best option either. Another option is the toggle anchor.
2: And you like this one. I do like these ones. I didn't used to because they look a little, I don't know, hard to understand how it's going to work. But essentially what it looks like is... Metal wings, and they—they're springy. Like, yeah, they spring out. They snap open on the other side of the drywall, and then they get tightened up against the drywall when you use the screw. But there's actually a lot of different options out there now, and that's kind of where I've changed my opinion on them a little bit. So because... you don't like the
1: old school ones necessarily with the wings that you described, the little springy wings.
2: Yeah, those ones look more simple, but I've had a difficult time with them before. The ones I really want to try after the video are the Easy Toggle Cam. They're almost a combination of all the different kinds that we've described here.
1: Yeah, these are even harder to describe than the ones that I butchered earlier.
2: Yeah, I'm not even going to try to describe those ones, but again, take a look at these in the show notes. The ones that I've used and my husband has used with great success are the plastic snap-off ones. So, these will still have a metal wing that expands on the other side of the drywall, but they are essentially made on the other side of like a zip tie material. And so, you zip it tight to the wall, and then you bend it back and forth, and the excess just snaps off.
1: Right. It's very interesting. You drill your hole, pop it in there pull that zip tie thing, Mm -hmm. tightens everything down, and then snap it off. All of these make use of some sort of feet or wings on the other side of the drywall, and that's what gives you the grip on those.
2: With any of these toggle ones, though, real quick, just make sure that you're drilling the right size hole to insert it with because that's where people fail with these often is that they're drilling a hole that's too big. So always read the packaging first.
1: Right, definitely. Now, those are some of the most common anchors. But as we mentioned, each of those comes with different weight ratings. So in order to really get the job done right, you've got to use the right anchor, the best anchor for your project, but also at a weight suited for the project. And to be safe, you would want to buy an anchor that's rated for a little more weight than you think you need. Now, we found a really good video. Actually, you found it.
2: Yeah, it's by Project Farm. And you said you've seen other videos by him. Yeah, he I does think a, he does a really good job.
1: Really good job. And he put all of these different anchors to the test. We're not going to painstakingly go through it. We've got a link to the video in the show notes. It's interesting to watch. Yes, it's it is. It's not a boring video at all. It's
2: like Mythbusters.
1: It is. He tests all of the anchors we talked about, and he puts them in a piece of drywall that's a half inch thick, and then he applies consistent pounds of vertical force, basically simulating a shelf or something like that. Yeah. And he does ...does that, measuring that weight until they pop out of the wall or fail. Wow, well,
2: rip out of the wall. Rip it's out of the
1: wall. It's dramatic looking. It's pretty fun. <laughs> and there's a lot of different replays of the video, right? When it's yeah. popping out and damaging stuff. But it will show you what they do and how well they perform. And it was interesting because all of them, even the cheap ones, exceeded the weight rating on the package.
2: Yeah, the self-drilling anchors actually more than doubled their weight rating. So they were rated for 50 pounds and they didn't fail until 125, which no. is
1: really impressive. Really impressive. The toggle anchors that he used Those were able to hold the most weight.
2: Yeah, those were probably the best, but the ones that didn't do quite as well, even though they met and slightly exceeded their weight rating, was the expansion anchors and the hollow wall anchors.
1: Right, that was surprising. The hollow wall anchors look pretty significant, but they didn't function nearly as well either. So, overall, in looking at the video and things that we've done personally, the toggle option is probably the best.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think
1: the easiest to use, though, are going to be the self-drilling ones.
2: It's really a toss-up for me as to which one I would use. I guess it depends on the project, ultimately. And that's, I mean, going to be with anything.
1: Right. The big thing is, you know, for me, when I look at this, first off, I'm I'm not going to be using the cheap garbage pieces that, that, that come, come with, with, something. The, with whatever I bought. Right. I can get better ones and I'll have better luck. The second thing is I maybe don't have to set everything way off from where I want it because I'm trying to find studs. I can probably rely on these anchors and... Right right now, really, to be honest, if it does fail, that just gives me something to come and crab to you about <laughs> and prove that I was right about something, right? So it's win-win all the way around.
2: I see. Okay.
1: Yeah, we've got links in the show notes to the video that we mentioned as well as pictures of all these different anchors. Definitely check it out. It's something you're going to want to know if you're jumping into any projects down the road. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about Furniture Shopping 101.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of buyer's remorse in furniture shopping. (laughs) There is so
1: much weeping and gnashing of teeth in my house whenever I buy furniture because I don't do certain things.
2: Even though you know.
1: Even though I know. We're going to talk about those things and tell you how to avoid all of them coming up next. Stay tuned.
0: If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost. On News Radio Wood 1300
1: and 1069 FM. Well, Haley, choosing the right furniture for our home is critical. You know, the sofas, the dining room tables, the beds, the office chairs, all of these are things that we spend a ton of time with and they've got the ability to impact the aesthetic, the design of our homes, our yeah, spaces. The
2: function. The
1: function, the comfort that we feel in those spaces, they're
2: big decisions. Yeah, it's a big commitment and it's a big investment potentially. And I think tend to rush these decisions, if I'm totally honest, Mm -hmm. when I'm shopping for furnitures because I want it right now. And so whatever I find is often what I take home with me. And then later on, I'm not as comfortable as I could have been, or the furniture doesn't even fill the function that it was meant to because I didn't really think about how deep a shelving unit needed to be.
1: Right. I can't really count how many times I've gone to a thrift store and almost bought. Sometimes I do buy I didn't go looking for furniture, but that's what I end up Mm -hmm. buying because I find something (laughs) and then I've got exactly what you're talking about. This really wasn't a need that I had. It just looked cool. I kind of got roped into the idea. The price was right. You name it. I snatch it up, bring it home. It really doesn't fit my need. So there's a lot of different things to consider. And we thought we'd go over some of the basics. You know, this isn't. Rocket science here?
2: But it's things that I don't remember to do in the moment. It's like the heat of the moment takes over, and so I make a purchase, and I wish that I would just slow down. And I think that's ultimately what we're saying to do here, is just slow down so you have enough time to consider these things.
1: Right. So if you're shopping for furniture, here's a number of things to look at. And first, I guess let's start with the obvious cost. Cost always plays in, and with furniture, with most things, you're going to get what you pay for.
2: Yeah, I used to work in a high-end furniture store for like a year after college, and it was always the first conversation, really. People would fall in love with the furniture, but then I'm looking at the price tag now and realizing... Then they'd literally fall over,
1: (laughs) then you'd resuscitate them, and then explain why the price tag is what it is.
2: Yeah, because the frame, you know, is doweled it was screwed it was glued so you've Made got
1: solid gold
2: right like that. <laughs> the fabric was really nice and cleanable and so all of these things play into it but while it's a great investment and it could last generations if you really spend the money on furniture mm-hmm. and have the ability to replace cushions over time all of these things are really great but if i'm only going to be in a place for a couple years And I don't know that this furniture is going to fit into either my next taste that I have Mm -hmm. or the next house that I have. Maybe I don't really need to invest like that.
1: It's a matter of figuring out exactly what you're looking for. I had a house where I was going to be there three years and yeah, went through the same debate. I keep telling myself I got to buy the best, you know, let's put the Mm -hmm. best thing that I can afford in the house. And in the end, we didn't. We saved some money on it. We bought something that would get us by and it worked just fine. But you do need to understand that you're getting what you pay for so set those expectations where they should be yeah and you'll be all right
2: but even within each price bracket i think there are things for us to consider right and the first one that we talked about was size because you talked to a person that worked in the furniture industry and they said the biggest problem is that people don't measure doorways or stairwells Against the piece of furniture they're buying, so they can't even get it in the house or into the room that they're trying to buy it for. Right.
1: It's a huge struggle to get it up a stairway or something like that. So the recommendation was measure, measure, measure. You know, bring the measurements with you. Measure your room. Mm -hmm. Measure the area where the piece is going to go. If you've got a stairway, measure all of those things to figure out if it's going to be able to be smoothly hauled in.
2: You have to remember walking space, too. I mean, it's not just the space that you have, but... Taking into consideration that you should ideally have around 30 inches around furniture so that you can walk easily through the room.
1: Right. And if you have a sofa and a coffee table, what were you saying? 14 to 18 inches? Yeah. So like 16 inches. Right. Something like that. So it's easy to use. All of those things are key. Another thing that people miss out, I messed up on this. We went to look at chairs for the living room and we're looking in a huge warehouse. Yeah. You know, a great big place full of big furniture (laughs) and it makes everything look a little smaller.
2: Right. Yeah. Because it's not the scale of a home. Right.
1: You don't have that scale, that idea. So we picked out chairs, so excited, and they deliver them a few days later, and I come home from work and find these things have now <laughs> taken up space in my living room. And they basically look like they filled half of the living room. Yikes. When I measured it, it literally was a quarter of the living room they filled up. Wow. Yeah. I'm not exaggerating. They were so huge. It was a narrow, long room, and they filled up one entire end of of that room. They were so big. I never would have dreamed that looking at them in the store. Right. So measure them. And then another great thing to do is come home before you've made the purchase and tape off that area on the floor or mark it off in one way or another. So you can get a visual that will help you understand how they're going to fit into your space and if that's the right size for what you're looking for.
2: Yeah. Find the furniture, then go back home and make sure it's going to work. Don't just measure and then assume that it's going to work once you're there.
1: Right. Because the visual impact, that's another thing to consider when we're talking about size. How much uh, of a statement do you want your furniture to make? Now, sometimes we want the furniture to make a statement. Right. My furniture was screaming. Well, <laughs> yeah, cool,
2: because you said it was red, too. It
1: was red. It just, yeah, it owned the room. Yeah. You know, We forgot there even was a living room. There was just the place where the chairs are.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to add height to a room, you know, considering a wingback chair or something like that. Or if you're trying to make it really open, finding something with a low back is going to make sense. So size has a lot of different facets.
1: Right. Just pay attention to that part of things. Now, comfort. I would say that would be the, another thing that we need to consider.
2: And it's the most obvious too. like, of course, I'm going to buy something comfortable. Right. It is
1: obvious. And yet, I think, you know, a lot of us will go and we'll test all these things out, right? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll lay on the couch. We'll sit on them. I don't know if I'm unique in this situation, but I have comfort and price battle in my head. (laughs) And I will tend to tell myself. So I'll find a couch. Let's say that's a great sale price. Yeah. And the color looks great. And I sit on it and I'm not wowed. But what my brain starts to tell me is, just give it some time.
2: Yeah, you'll break it in. You'll
1: grow to love this. <laughs> you know, your legs will grow. They'll evolve a little further. They'll, your feet will be able to touch the floor, right?
2: Yeah, that's super important. I think there's a lot of oversized furniture out there. And when our feet don't touch the ground when we're sitting at a couch, it makes it so that we're actually putting a lot of stress on our back. And it's something that we don't think about very often.
1: Right, but it's not going to change. You know, that feeling mm-hmm. of not being comfortable in that couch or in that chair or whatever, you're not going to, generally speaking, get used to it over time.
2: Right. It's probably just going to get worse. It's probably just <laughs> giving you that
1: warning sign right there that the price may be right, all of it may be perfect, but if it doesn't feel good, you're yeah. going to regret that. We've bought, we've all. Talk to people we've, in fact, I've been that person that's bought something oh, yeah. that I thought I would grow to love over time Totally, the price was great. It and I looked right. Always hated it.
2: Yeah, I've done the aesthetic over comfort a lot.
1: Yeah, so make sure you're paying attention to that. Make sure everybody who's going to be using that particular item Does test it out a little bit. There's
2: a story. Um, George Nelson, he was the one that designed the Nelson bench. And it's in a lot of museums now and waiting rooms, hallways. But he actually designed it to be uncomfortable. He
1: designed it to be uncomfortable. Yes,
2: he didn't want people lingering in his office. So he designed a bench he thought would be uncomfortable so people would sit down, not really want to stay, and they would leave.
1: (laughs) Well, that's what you get with that. I like that idea. You know, it's a way to move people right on through. (laughs) But we end up inadvertently doing that in our own spaces. And I think of dining room tables. Oh, yeah. You know, we pick a table. But how much time really goes into the thought about the chairs and how comfortable they are? You just mentioned that one architect, George Nelson, Frank Lloyd Wright, we've talked about him on the show multiple times, and that was one of his things. The kitchen table is a place where we sit and we relax and we interact with friends and family. Mm -hmm. It's critical that the chairs allow for that. Yeah, mine are not comfortable,
2: and I don't like to spend time there.
1: Right. So all of that needs to be considered. Kick that around in your mind as you're making this decision. So size comfort, all of those things. How about looking at the piece in your own lighting? You know, we talk about that with paint colors all the time. Don't pick your paint in the store, bring some chips home, brush the paint out, look at it in your lighting. I would assume the same thing's true with furniture.
2: Definitely. We should always ask if there is a sample available to take home before we make the purchase because color changes so much depending on light. And then save the paint color choosing for the end. Because if you're both buying furniture and painting a room, you have way more paint color options than you do for furniture. So make sure you find the right furniture color and then we can adjust the paint color for you. You don't have to get you know put in a box because you chose this paint color and now you've got to try to match the furniture.
1: That is so frustrating. A lot of people do that. They decorate out of order. Mm-hmm. A lot of times start with paint. Paint should be one of the last things. Get the other things first. Carpet, furniture, window treatments, countertops, all of that stuff first Then you get your paint last. All right. That's all the time we've got. We're going to have to wrap it up. If you want to catch this one again, you can find it online at RepcoLight.com. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and you'll never miss another episode. There'll be no more weeping because you slept in (laughs) too late on Saturday. You'll just get it whenever you get it.
2: There's no crying in radio.
1: There's no crying in radio if you're subscribed to the podcast. All right, whatever you do today, make sure paint's a part of it. The Repco Light and Port City paint stores are open until 3, waiting to help. I'm
2: Dan Hanson. And I'm Healy Johnson. Thanks for listening.